Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today's episode is sponsored by Realty Shares. Realty Shares is an online real estate investment marketplace. They allow you to invest in private real estate deals right from your computer in just minutes. All deals are first reviewed by their experienced professionals. Start investing today by going to realtyshares.com slash truth. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. I'm your host, Bob Ruff, and I've got a little bit different type of episode for you today. I think the best way to describe it would be an addendum of sorts. My intention for this week was to have Jim Clemente on again to talk about the post-defense behavior of Adnan, Jay, and Don. Unfortunately, we were unable to get our schedules to line up this week to record the episode, and so I had to dig into my files of planned future episodes. The issue that I've had this week is that most of the episodes that I have planned revolve around Jim Clemente's analysis of the post-offense behaviors. I've also been pretty swamped this week as I've been on vacation from my full-time job, and I've been working 12-hour days trying to get the new studio put together. And for all of you that have been asking, we're almost there. We just completed finishing all of the drywall today, so it's a matter of sanding, painting, carpet, and getting everything installed. So when I figured out this morning that Jim wasn't going to be available tonight to record, I dug into my emails to find out what all of you, the listeners, want to know. And over the last several weeks, around 90% of the emails that I get are all regarding questions about Don. I know that we've talked about Don on several different episodes already, and there's a lot of information out there online, but judging from the majority of the emails that I'm getting, it occurred to me that most of you listeners are getting all of your content through the podcast and aren't participating in online forums or social media to get any of the additional information. So what I'm going to do today is lay out the case against Don. All in one place, in one episode, I'll be discussing everything that we know about Don. And I know that a lot of this has been addressed already, but I'm hoping that this will be a useful tool to get all of this information in one place. Now before I get into that content, I want to make something very clear. This episode and this information is not an accusation. I'm not accusing Don of this crime or suggesting that Don is the one who committed the crime. I'm simply laying out all of the facts that we know so that you can make your own decisions on the case. And one thing that I will say in caution to all of you is to be careful about making assumptions. Remember that Adnan has been sitting in prison for 16 years based on a lot of loose circumstantial evidence. Assumptions were made and blinders were put on and we all know what the end result was. So try to be objective, listen to the facts as they're presented, don't worry about what you think that I might mean, just take an objective, unbiased look at the facts of the case. And as far as the case is concerned, there has been a huge development in Adnan's post-conviction relief proceedings. 
I've gotten tons of messages over the last week asking me to talk about the latest ruling in Anand's case. And I don't want to spend too much airtime on it because it's already been thoroughly covered by Undisclosed. So all of you who have not heard it yet, last Monday, Undisclosed released their addendum and they also released a bonus episode where they explained what happened in the case. So if you haven't heard it, I would suggest all of you go back and download that episode and listen to it, as the Undisclosed team did a great job of breaking it down. The quick breakdown for any of you who somehow are not aware of what happened last week, the judge ruling in Adnan's post-conviction relief proceedings granted the motion to reopen Adnan's case. And what that means is that in the next couple of months or so, there will be a hearing. And in that hearing, the judge has ruled that Asia's testimony will be heard, all of the new cell phone evidence will be heard, and the court will be hearing Adnan's case of alleged prosecutorial misconduct. Long story short, this is a huge win for Adnan's legal team. And it is a huge win for all of you who helped to make it happen. This is by far the most exciting thing that has happened in this case. And my unprofessional prediction is that in that hearing, Adnan will be granted a new trial. I've had a lot of people congratulating me on this victory, and while I appreciate all of the kudos, I do want to say that this really has nothing to do with me. I believe that the work we're doing here is critical for this case, it's critical for finding truth and justice, and I believe 100% in the very near future, we will absolutely and conclusively prove who killed Heyman Lee. But in regards to the legal fight, there are four people that deserve all of the credit. And that's Robbie Ashoudry, Susan Simpson, Colin Miller, and Anand's attorney, Justin Brown. They are the ones that have been working on the court case and all of the legal angles involved. Information that Susan Simpson discovered was directly used in Brown's motion that resulted in this victory. So again, hats off to the Undisclosed team and all of you listeners for keeping this movement alive and keeping this case on the front page and creating an atmosphere where injustice will not be tolerated. On this podcast, I have identified in my investigation Don as a prime suspect in this case, and that is strictly my opinion And so as I mentioned today, I'm going to lay out everything that we know about Don and let you decide for yourself if you agree that he should be a suspect. And I would love to hear your thoughts. Just email them in to me at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. And very quickly along those lines, I'm sure you've noticed that I haven't been reading a lot of emails on the show in the last several weeks. And I just wanted to let you all know that I am still reading all of them. And the reason I haven't been reading them on the show is because lately a very large majority of them are theories. And I know that when we began this case, most of the content of the show was derived from listener theories. However, at this point in the investigation, I personally feel that it could be considered slanderous to be reading theories about how a particular individual might have committed this crime when we're talking about a very real person who at this point is still innocent as far as we know. So please keep sending those theories and those ideas into me. Know that I do read them all, and they are a big part of my investigative process as I take all of the theories that come in and I try to apply them to the evidence and see which ones are plausible and which ones aren't. So your theories are still very useful to the investigation. I'm just for the time being not at a point where I think we should be reading them on the air. 
And once I have a theory that we can prove, believe me, you will hear it. So what's the deal with Don? Well, first of all, let's briefly summarize who Don is from what we know about him. Don was born and raised in the Baltimore area. In his early teen years, his parents divorced. Through this investigation, we know that Don's father has had several brushes with the law. He has several arrests on the books for alcohol-related crimes, resisting arrest, DUIs, DUIs. He has no felonies, all misdemeanor offenses. But it's known that he was certainly no stranger to the back of a squad car. Don's mother, from the best that I can tell, has always been an outstanding citizen, no criminal record, nothing much to see here. Around the time that Don was entering high school, his father remarried, and his mother and her current partner began cohabitating. From all the sources at Don's high school, it looks as though Don was not a very social person. He's very quiet, kept to himself, and in fact, I was only able to find one single person in all of Don's graduating class that ever remembers even having a conversation with him. People remembered who he was, but no one could tell me who any of Don's friends were or if he ever had a girlfriend. He was just a very quiet and reserved kid when he was in high school. I'll note here also that Don, to this day, has no criminal record whatsoever. He's never had any issues with the law. Several people have asked me which parent Don lived with, and I can't answer that. I have not found any documentation that shows strongly one way or the other who he was living with during high school. Shortly after graduating high school, Don began working at LensCrafters. He started out working at the Hunt Valley store, and in October of 1998, he began working at the Owings Mills LensCrafters, right around the same time that Heyman Lee began working at the same LensCrafters. I don't know why the transfer happened or if it was a transfer. All I know is that he did work at Hunt Valley, and then starting in October, he began working at Owings Mills. I also don't know when Don's mother began working at the Hunt Valley store. However, I assume, and it is just an assumption, that her taking the position as general manager at Hunt Valley may have been the reason he was transferred out, as the LensCrafters general manager that we had on the show a couple months ago said that it was a strict LensCrafters policy that you could not work at the same store for someone who you're related to. We do also know now that the general manager at the Owings Mill store was in fact Don's mom's partner. However, I don't think that this would violate the policy as it was not a legal marriage at that point, and therefore she technically was not related to Don. Between October 98 and January 12, 1999, the only source that we have about Don during that time frame is Hay Lee's diary. According to Hay's diary, around early December, Hay and Don began talking, Don gave her his phone number, and Hay was very much infatuated with Don during that time. On January 1st, 1999, Hay's diary indicates that she and Don went on their very first date. Now, one interesting point that is somewhat of an inconsistency is Hay's diary says that on December 31st, she went to Owings Mills, saw Don, rode around in his Camaro, and planned their very first date for January 1st. However, Don's recollection of their relationship was slightly different. This is Don's testimony from the first trial when Yurik was questioning him. They were talking about the occasion when Hay had gotten into the car accident and Adnan and Don both looked over the car. And we know from Hay's diary that that occurred on December 24th. Yurik asked Don if he had ever met Adnan. He said yes the one time. And this was the series of questions and answers. Yurik asks, now where were you when you first saw him that occasion? Don responds, I believe I was walking up to my car, and he was, and he drove up. Yurik, 
What did he do as he drove up? Don. Pulled up alongside my car, got out, and started talking to me. Yurik. And this was after you had started dating Haley. Don. Yes. Now, Don also mentioned the same thing when he was interviewed on Serial. He told Sarah Koenig that the occasion of meeting Adnan when Hay had wrecked her car was a typical meeting of an old boyfriend and a new boyfriend. What the significance of this is, I can't tell you for sure. But it is something that's left me scratching my head. Hay explicitly states in her diary that she and Don did not even go on their first date until January 1st. Yet Don says they were dating before December 24th. So there's most definitely an inconsistency there. It also strikes me as odd that on that occasion, Adnan is the one who gave Hay a ride home. Now that could just be logistics, as Don lived in Bel Air and Adnan and Hay lived back near Woodlawn. But still struck me as a little bit odd. Don says that at that meeting, Adnan was friendly and told him he just wanted to make sure that he was a nice guy. So according to Don, they were dating before Christmas. According to Hay, they went on their first date on January 1st. After that, Hay spoke in her diary of another date where they went to the movies. Hay's infatuation with Don grew. And then on January 13th, Hay disappeared. So after we take a quick break to hear about our sponsor, we'll break down Don's actions after Hay's disappearance. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We don't know where Don was during the day on January 13th. All we know is that he was not at work as he said that he was. According to the police reports, sometime around 6 o'clock, the police tried to get a hold of Don. They called LensCrafters and left a message for him, and they also called his home. The first time the police actually made contact with Don was the night of Hay's disappearance at 1.30 a.m. And the report reads, I spoke to victim Lee's boyfriend, and he advised that he does not know the whereabouts of Miss Lee. Don advised that he had talked to Miss Lee last on January 12, 1999. Now, one thing that I've noticed in this report is that in this report, the very first report, Don does not say that he saw Hay on January 12th. He doesn't say that she was at his house or that they spent any time together. It just says that he talked to her on January 12th. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't together that night, but in Don's statement, it says that they talked, and there is nothing to indicate that they spent that evening together in Hay's diary. And another thing that I noted in Hay's diary is in many of the entries, she notes when it's really late at night. She'll write, I'm tired, it's 11 o'clock, or it's already almost midnight, 
She'll put these times in parentheses at the top. Anytime it's a late night entry, she seems to indicate that. But her entry on January 12th doesn't say anything about it being late at night, and it doesn't say anything about spending any time with Don that day. And in Don's first statement, he doesn't say anything about spending time with her that day. Very brief, to the point, doesn't know where she is, and the last time he talked to her was on the 12th. The bottom of that report, it reads, It should be noted that I spoke to Don on January 14th at 01.30 hours. So that's 1.30 in the morning the day she went missing. The next day, another officer following up called Don again. In this report, it says Don advised he has not seen the victim since January 12th. And then it says that the Hartford County Sheriff was requested to check the area surrounding his address for the victim and her vehicle, at this time with negative results. So now he's spoken with two police officers. The first time he says he doesn't know where she is, and he talked to her the night before. And this time he just says that he hasn't seen her since the 12th. Says nothing about work, nothing about spending that night with her before. None of that is included in these reports. Just over a week later, on January 22nd, Detective O'Shea called Don again. So on this third occasion where Don had contact with the police, it says that Don said the last time he saw Hay Lee was on January 12th. Hay was at Donald's residence in Bel Air. Donald said Hay was in a good mood and she was happy about their new relationship. Hay did not mention to Donald that she argued with her mother about breaking curfew and phone privileges. Hay did not indicate to Donald that she was planning on going anywhere. Hay left Donald's residence at 10.30 p.m. and paged him when she arrived home at 11.30. Donald called Hay and they spoke on the phone until approximately 3 a.m. Hay told Donald that she would call him after she left work on the 13th. Hay was scheduled to work the 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. shift. And then now this is the first mention of Don working. It says on January 13th, Don went to work at the Hunt Valley Lenscrafter store. Don did not speak with Hay while he was at work. Don worked until approximately 6 p.m. Don arrived home at 7 p.m. and he was advised by his father to call the Owings Mills store. Don called the store and he said he was told that Haley was missing. So according to Don back on the 13th, by 7 p.m. he knew that Hay was missing and did not make contact with the police until 1.30 a.m. Don said Hay broke up with Adnan in mid-December of 98. Adnan came to the store after they broke up. Don met Adnan, and Don said Adnan was polite and cordial. And then it says, Hay told Don that she spent the summer of 97 or 98 in California with her father. Hay also said she would like to live in California. And then there's a note at the bottom of the report that says, The undersigned met with Don in person on February 4th at Owings Mills Lenscrafter store. The information obtained was the same as provided in this correspondence. So those are all the contacts that Don had with the police. 1.30 in the morning, the night Hay went missing. The next day on a follow-up. Eight days later on January 22nd, where he now says that he was working and that Hay didn't have plans to go anywhere. But then he ends the end of the interview by saying that Hay also said she would like to live in California. Now, 10 days later, on February 1st, is when Detective O'Shea interviewed the Owings Mills manager, who was Don's stepmom. Now, again, O'Shea had no idea that she was Don's stepmom. He just thought that he was interviewing Don's boss. Stepmom says Haley was scheduled to work at 6 p.m. on the 13th. She did not show up for work, nor did she contact anyone. She said that Don was working at the Hunt Valley Lenscrafters on the 13th. She said he arrived for work at 9.02 a.m., took a lunch break from 1.10 to 1.42, and he left work at 6 p.m. 
And as I've mentioned on previous episodes, those were the exact times that were listed on the falsified time card. At this point, Don is done dealing with the police, but then in comes Mandy from the Anihi group. We don't know the exact date, but we believe that she was brought in by Hayes' family in early February. She interviewed Don, and these are the notes that she has. The note says, co-worker and new boyfriend, contacted both by police and by Mandy Johnson. Don appeared mature, articulate, but not overly concerned. Although helpful and polite, he did not sound in any way emotionally concerned with Haley's disappearance. He felt she had gone to California to be with her father, but he did state that he hoped she would contact him. He did say that she had a girlfriend whose parents were away on vacation for the week ending 116. He did not know who it was, but offered the information, quote, just in case. So again, Don's reinforcing the idea that she might have gone to live in California and offering up an alternate scenario that she may have been staying at a girlfriend's house that week. Mandy Johnson mentions Don again in the summary of her report. She says she spoke with Haley's colleague at LensCrafters, Don. Haley had recently been dating Don, and she seemed very enthusiastic about their relationship. He stated that they had gone out together the night before her disappearance, January 12, 1999. He confirmed that this was the last time he saw her. He said that he had called her later to assure that she had arrived home safely. During the date, he claimed she told him that she'd had an argument with her mother earlier that day and that she had expressed the desire to live with her father in California. When asked how she would accomplish this, Mr. seemed to think she would either drive there or leave her car in the satellite parking facility at BWI Airport and fly by commercial airline to California. He did not appear as enthused about their relationship as Haley's diary indicates that she was. So as you can see, as time goes on, Don starts by saying that he had talked to Hay on the 12th. Then he says that he saw her on the 12th, but she didn't have plans to go anywhere. Then he mentions that she might be going to California. And by this last interview, he has a detailed account about how Hay told him exactly how she would go to California. Which parking lot she would park her car in. She would fly by commercial airline. Very specific. Now, there are a few other sidebars that a lot of listeners have asked me about. One of the things are Don's employee evaluations from LensCrafters. These were included in the packet that LensCrafters sent the defense, and Susan Simpson posted them on her blog, The View from LL2. The reviews that Don had from Hunt Valley were all pretty normal. In fact, most of them were good. However, these reviews are pretty scathing. Now, two things to note. All of these reviews were done after Haley was murdered, but they are also the only reviews we have from the new store. And I just want to put that out there because some people have made assumptions about how his behavior changed after Hay was murdered, and that may be the case, but it's also important to note that this is also a different store and a different lab manager creating these reports. I'm not going to read them on the air, but anybody who is interested in seeing them go check out Susan's blog, The View from LL2. A brief summary of them is that Don is criticized several times for blaming other people for mistakes. They say that he needs to learn to stay calm and deal with problems. They mention some integrity and honesty issues. They talk about falsifying documents and documenting his hours correctly. And again, you can read them in full on Susan's blog. Now, the last bit of very strange information regarding Don in this case is a stray note in the police files. It's a handwritten note. It's undated and unsigned. There are several other things written on the page, but it says none of Hayes. And for the life of me, I cannot. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Make out what that word is. I've heard people say that it's none of Hayes' friends or none of Hayes' classmates. But the handwriting's so bad, I can't say for sure exactly what it says. But it says, none of hey something like new boyfriend. And then under that, it says, new boyfriend assaulted Debbie. And that note has been a mystery to everyone looking into this case since the beginning. Debbie is Hay's friend who had the seven-hour-long conversation with Don on the phone. She's also the one that in her police interview said that Hay had told her she was going to meet Don at the mall after school on the day she was murdered. She said that she suspected Don of taking Hay, created a fake email address, started emailing him, and that eventually led to the seven-hour conversation. And she said that after talking to him on the phone, she was convinced that he had nothing to do with it. But then there's this note that says, Don assaulted Debbie. And one of the reasons that I haven't brought this up before is because I was trying to get in touch with Debbie to figure out what that note was about. My attempts to contact her have been going on for months now. One of her high school friends reached out to her and let her know what I was doing, that I would like to talk to her. Debbie agreed, gave her permission to give me her email address, and I've emailed her since then, along with a few other people who have done the same. And she just seems really resistant to talk. She hasn't responded to the emails. She's just been seemingly kind of avoiding having these conversations. And I can certainly respect that. So if I ever am able to make contact with Debbie, or if she ever gets back with me, I will let you all know. But for the time being, I'm just as confused as all of you are by what that note means. I mean, it very clearly says that the new boyfriend assaulted Debbie. Now, the last bit of information that we have about Don is his reaction to Serial. When Serial began, Sarah Kane had contacted Don, and he declined to speak with her. He didn't want anything to do with it. As Serial went on, and Don was discussed several times, in the last hour before the last episode, Don contacted Sarah Koenig and wanted to give a statement, or an interview, I guess, but he wouldn't be on the air. He would only talk to her off the air and let her talk about what he said. In that interview, Don again talked about his interaction with Adnan when Hay had wrecked her car. He again said that he and Hay were dating at that time. He said that he really loved Hay and that she changed him. It made him feel like he had worth and that he still loves her to this day, which is a bit of a contrast to his reaction back in 99, where as Mandy noted, he seemed very unconcerned and not very enthusiastic about their relationship. Don told Sarah that he had been cheated on in the past. He told Sarah that as far as he can remember, he never made any attempts to call or page Hay after she went missing. He told a story about how after he testified at trial that Kevin Urich yelled at him for not making Adnan look bad on the stand. He said he was literally screaming at him. 
which I just have to say, as much as I can't stand Kevin Urich, that story never made any sense to me. Don played very little part in that trial, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why Urich would be yelling at Don, especially in the hallway of the courtroom where people could hear him. So for what it's worth, personally, I don't believe that story. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just seems really off the wall. And lastly, Don told Sarah that when he got the call from the police the night that Hay went missing, he immediately recounted his day. He said that he knew that he would be a suspect and wanted to make sure that he had an alibi. A few things about that statement got my attention. First of all, it seems like a very odd reaction. When you get a call that your girlfriend didn't show up to pick up her cousin that day, why would you immediately think that you need an alibi? And why would you think that you would be a suspect? A suspect for what? As far as anyone knew, there had been no crime committed at that point. And the second thing that struck me about that statement is that it's not true. Don didn't immediately give an alibi. He didn't say anything to the police that night about where he was or what he was doing. Or the next day. It wasn't until a week later, after his timesheet had been created, that he told the police that he was at work that day. He never made any mention of it before that interview on January 22nd. So for now, that's everything we know about Don. That's all the cards on the table. Everything we know about him, good and bad, that is the case against Don, if there indeed is a case to be had. I believe with all of that in its entirety, that this is sufficient enough probable cause to consider Don a prime suspect. And it's up to you to decide if you agree. Thank you to Johnny Rose of Slightly Subversive Music for creating all of the music for the show. Thank you to Tate Krupa for creating our logo. Thank you to Realty Shares for funding today's program. And thanks to all of you for continuing to stay engaged, sending your thoughts, theories, and ideas, and being my investigative team to help bounce ideas off of. Please keep sending your thoughts into me at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Check out the show's Facebook page, Truth and Justice with Bob Ruff. And if you like to have some daily chitter-chatter back and forth, follow me on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. I look forward to hearing from each and every one of you. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.